0: Hello, it's your host, Kat Walsh, and you're listening to another episode of Trip On This. This podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children. Trip On This is intended for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone the use of illegal substances. Enjoy the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Trip On This. It's your host, Kat and do I have something saucy for you guys today? My next guest is Aisha Hussein. She is a sexual awakening specialist. Care to know what that is? Perfect. She explains it excellent on this episode. All I can say is there's a particular thing that she says in this episode that truly stood out to me. And that is she said, if you don't know who you are sexually, how do you know what to create and who to create with? I thought wow, that is powerful and so true. This episode is not only sexy and steamy, but it's also one of the most adult conversations I've ever had around sex and sexuality and asking for what we want and pleasure and how that also aligns to a bigger cultural narrative, particularly that has to do with rape culture and how when we can all express in our truth, how we can truly make this place a better and safer place. Of course, we also get into psychedelics because would it be trip on this without it? So we definitely talk about sex and psychedelics and also some events that she threw that combine the two ideas. So as you can imagine, this is gonna be a good one. Before the episode begins, if you are not following me on socials, please do so. At trip on this underscore pod. Again, that's at trip on this underscore pod for Instagram, Twitter and TikTok and backslash trip on this pod for Facebook. If you are enjoying this episode and you want to help support me, please send it out to your friends and family, rate it, subscribe, do all the things. It is so helpful. And with that, please enjoy this next guest with Aisha Hussein. Aisha, welcome to Trip on This. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. All right, let's just get right into it you are a sexual awakening specialist. First mm-hmm. of all, can you just tell us what what does that mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start first with what is a sexual awakening? I think it's really important to start with the, the building blocks. And uh, the best way I like to really describe it is that an awakening can be a multitude of things. Sometimes an awakening, right, is a very soft caress on the cheek and you get to open your eyes and kind of stretch out. And then sometimes an awakening is someone taking you by the shoulders and shaking you awake, just kind of, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And so what is happening in an awakening is you're coming to a part of yourself that has always been there, but you just couldn't see. So you're opening your eyes in some way. So a sexual awakening is that having to do with something within your sexuality that happens in all kinds of different ways for all kinds of different people, which kind of makes it a nebulous thing. But a sexual awakening specialist is someone who works with people to design experiences for that to happen to invite you to see parts of yourself that you couldn't see before and so that's what i specialize in and particularly around sexuality and so i design experiences whether through events or my coaching to be able to invite people into themselves
0: wow and so i just can imagine you know when when you are meeting other people and i'm sure the there's an array of responses they get to you when you tell them, this is what I do. Is there a way that you can talk to people about these sensitive subjects, especially in the beginning if they this is very new, that disarms them?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that the best way to do that or the way that I do it for myself is just being rid of all of my shame and all of my own taboo, which took a lot of work to get there. But whenever I approach something with a lot of joy and a lot of delight and I'm very excited or sometimes I say it with a little bit of intrigue because to me the best thing is to invite curiosity around what we're talking about. And so that's usually how I approach it. And I think for anyone else, if they want to start conversations with other people around sex and open it up is to try and be playful with it, yeah. to try and you know ask the question or invite or, of someone else or to get really vulnerable about an experience that you're really having. And so sometimes, depending on who I'm around, if it's more of a casual conversation, I might invite the curiosity, or if I'm having a more in-depth conversation with someone, I might share something of my experience that really shows someone else like, you know, we're not alone in this. And I think that's one of the scariest parts about sexuality is we don't talk about it. And so everyone feels really isolated.
0: Yes, absolutely. So how did you get into this space? What has your journey been like with sexuality through your own sexual awakening and coming to a space, wanting to help others?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned that a sexual awakening can be one or two of two things, right? Uh, so my first sexual awakening was actually above the ladder where someone took me by the shoulders and kind of shook me awake. When I was 14, I was exposed to rape. And from that kind of experience, I really came into understanding sexual energy as a very different form of things, right? I couldn't ignore that in my life and went through a series of, you know, hiding in my closet, furiously trying to figure out how I get my virginity back and this thing and that thing. And... There really wasn't a lot of information out there and what that led me to do was try to be as open as i could about sexuality because it felt literally if i did not that i was hiding in a closet Uh, yet i grew up in the midwest in a muslim household where sex was not talked about not only was sex not talked about it was like the ultimate thing that was not allowed and what I really got drawn to was the fashion industry and how much it seemed like everyone was kind of wearing sex on their sleeves and everyone was open about it. And what that led me to do was actually go to New York city and immerse myself in the fashion industry. I went to fashion school, but about eight years of doing that. And I realized, everyone wanted to use sex to sell things, but no one actually wanted to talk about it. And I would try to style models a certain way, or I would go to panels to talk and try and talk about certain things, or I would try to bring in merchandise around sexuality and always was told no. And I think that somewhere inside of me, it felt like that little girl having to hide back in the closet to try and figure out things around sex. And eventually I got so fed up and I was like, fine, if no one is going to let me do this, I'm going to do it on my own. And so what I started to do was gather hundreds of people into a room to watch porn and then talk about it and really went deep into one of the most taboo things and wanted to really bring it into the light.
0: Wow, wow. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that happened and I'm so sorry that that had to be your, the shaking of the shoulders, as you said, nobody should ever have to experience that. And, yeah. Thank you, you know, to, and, and the, the difficulty of not having parents that you could talk to about that, did you try?
1: Honestly, no. And the the thing about that is that I grew up in a house that I mean, even from a very little age, there is this sense of like protecting girls, because that's the thing that's going to happen. And like, I just felt that there was So I was a dancer growing up and one of the biggest things that got in the way of me being a dancer was that it wasn't appropriate from my dad's point of view for me to be on stage dancing in a like skimpy costume, right? So Mm. even from a very young age and there's an aspect in Islam that is like protecting and hiding the women instead of trying to teach the boys, you know, so to speak in this very heteronormative example- of what is a proper way to teach people right you hide the girls away almost like the onus is on them to protect themselves and so when that happened i felt like oh my god the number one thing that my parents have tried to keep me away from i have now done to myself right because in the beginning i didn't have the understanding that this wasn't a thing that was actually my fault And I think that's a thing that trauma survivors really go through for most of their lives. And I'll still sometimes catch myself in that kind of spiral of like, well, was it that? Did I really, did I, maybe I did it to myself, you know, and especially at 14, the amount of shame and like guilt that that would, that that carried for me, having done the one thing that like was not allowed in my household. I didn't even try. I didn't even try. So, yeah, it, it was uh, a very difficult thing to, to go through.
0: I'm so sorry. Are they, obviously, they know what you do now. Do they? Uh, somewhat. <laughs> yeah, somewhat. We'll come uh, to, I mean, we'll that's come a really out. interesting so aspect. In. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I want to start here and then, of course, go to a theater full of porn or a theater full of people watching sure. porn. But before we get there, I just would like to wrap up, like, are, so they know a little so my mother fully
1: knows. Okay. Um, my mother is very very aware. I actually came out to my mother as pansexual, polyamorous, and that I was quitting my very cushy job in fashion to start a <laughs> porn cinema all at the same time. Oh my god. Um, and actually the the thing that, you know, was most confusing to her was you have enough trouble with one person in a relationship, you're going to add more than one No. Like the polyamorous yeah. thing was the thing that she didn't really
0: understand. She's like, anyone, like anyone, not, not only polyamorous, but like whatever, like men, women, like whatever. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. Wow. I'm so glad though that you had at least an outlet to tell one of them. Yeah. At this stage. And
1: and my dad knows I do coaching around like LGBTQ stuff. You know, he doesn't really have the like details of what all that means yeah um but you know sometimes it's the the relationship works better when we have a don't ask don't tell
0: policy you know what sometimes that really is (laughs) the better option like you know i love you so much but to keep it just you know so you can just come over and have a nice boundaries yeah boundaries boundaries all it is um all right so now let's fast forward to a theater uh theater full watching pornography Mm -hmm. okay so questions. How did you, like, what was the intention, the objective? Did you like, we're going to watch porn and we're going to talk about it. What, what kind of things are you talking about?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in my journey around sexuality, pornography was a thing that became my outlet, Mm -hmm. um, especially in a very heteronormative culture growing up in the Midwest, Um, I almost exclusively watched lesbian porn until I was like 24. So I started probably somewhere around 10 or 11. I actually found a porn magazine in my mother's underwear drawer. So that's how I started with my experience of porn.
0: But it was definitely
1: one of the most shameful aspects and one that I still had a hard time sharing. So I talked about sex pretty openly with my friends and and things like that and relationships all the time. But that porn part was still the one that I couldn't talk about. So when I got to the age of about, I guess it was my sophomore year of college, I was about 20. I had an experience where I like blurted out to my boyfriend at the time. Yeah. But i watched lesbian porn and he just kind of looked at me and he was like, yeah, that's pretty normal. And I was like, <laughs> right. Like one yeah. of those things were like, you have been holding this thing so tightly in your body for such a long time. Like You know, one time I almost got caught by my mom because I used my debit card, which was attached to her account. And she could see like all of these things that you're trying to skirt and like not be out in the open. And then you finally tell someone and their reaction is so like nonchalant where you're like, holy shit, I can be this and someone accept me for that. And it's not a big deal. That
0: kind of experience. Yeah, it's so common. I'm sure your boyfriend was like, awesome. (laughs) For him. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, ten years ago,
1: yeah, people were not talking about this it's at all. Scary. Like when I think about how, how much of a difference it's made mm-hmm. since then, it was not a thing being talked about whatsoever. Even in New York City, in college, like I was in one of the most liberal places that you can be on this earth, and it still wasn't talked about. Yeah. And so that kind of experience has really stuck with me. And I really believe lending that experience to other people is such a point of power, which is where a sexual awakening comes in. So when I got to the space where I was like, all right, fuck it, I'm going to do this myself, what had happened was I had gone to Montreal with another boyfriend, this is some years later at this Mm -hmm. point, and he had surprised me by taking me to the porn cinema in Montreal called L'Amourne. And we ended up having one of the most incredible experiences. Like he was very closed off about sexuality. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He didn't want me to talk to anybody about our sex lives, which was really hard for me at the time. But we ended up having this experience that was so life altering. Like We could not stop talking about it and we actually were in Montreal with his group of friends and he went back to his group of friends and told them how amazing of an experience it was. Like, could not believe how open he was being. And to experience something like that with someone else where you're plopped in the middle of a scenario where it's free and open and everyone is enjoying themselves and you're just being the humans that we are meant to be, you almost don't wanna let that go. And so after having that experience, I could not stop thinking about it. And I was in the shower washing my hair one day thinking about, well, if I did this, I would change this thing. And if I did this, I would tweak this part. And if I did this, and then I was like, Aisha, stop with the what if, like, just do this. Wow. And that was right after me too, where I was also feeling like, wow, I need to do something about this. This is part of my story and look how many people are really experiencing this same thing. And so all of those things just kind of came together at one where I said, this was one of the hardest things for me to admit when I finally did it, the course of action that changed in my life for me to own this and be this person in my life. And then also feeling like this has to be connected to why I have been on the journey that I have been on. It all really just kind of came together to say, like, this is what you need to do. And it's coming after you, whether you like it or not. So just surrender and say, okay.
0: Wow. What a life. What a story so far. So Mm -hmm. all right. So you did that. How long were you doing the theater and... Okay. Can I ask a more personal question? Like, so when people are in the theater, is it, are they just watching? Are they like flirty, like getting turned on so they can go home and have a night? Like what's the vibe in there?
1: Yeah. So initially I was taking the pornography out of the context of the sex part. And so I was doing a lot of different kind of like almost more of an intellectualizing, looking at it from a more spiritual standpoint. So although we would be in events watching porn, we would be having really deep, intimate conversations about what is this and why are we attracted to this? I also... Was working with uh, responsible or indie or ethical porn, and so I would have events where we would kind of frame like, "Here, look at you know what you might typically see on Pornhub, and not to shame that, but also look at this other indie representation and what's the difference in how you feel about it." I'm so it started there. Yeah,
0: I'm glad you uh, you brought that up because I know there's obviously I've I've heard stories that the porn industry can be, yeah, not. The, very unethical in some in some camps and it's cool that you made a point to not only source ethical porn that obviously the the people in the videos are wanting to be there and you know everything is set and it's they're doing things that they want to do and and that you guys are making a point and making and calling it out as a difference yeah
1: yeah absolutely and both all of it has its merit right and there's different reasons for watching different things but i really wanted to show people a different side of something that they may not have ever seen before and also just bring to conversation like why are we watching the things that we're watching and also let people find other people that like oh you like anal too like this is what i like about anal and like you know being able to converse about those things like i always started my events with um like an anonymous like quiz or poll that like asked people what age you were when you first started porn or watching porn or found porn. You know, what's your favorite way to experience porn now? How often do you? And then we would move into like, how often do you masturbate? So that in the very beginning, from an anonymous lens people could really start to see like oh again i'm not alone i'm not isolated because yeah. the experience with pornography at least for myself growing up was behind the screen like trying to like be in my room by myself underneath the covers yeah. and it was, it was always like really very low. <laughs> <laughs> exactly isolated and hidden yeah and so what i wanted to do was like bring that out into the open and say we're all having this experience but we're just all having this experience by ourselves and we think no one else is experiencing this, yeah. which is not true. Yeah. It's just not true. So that's where we started. And then ended up joining and kind of creating this collective of people who were all kind of together and the understanding that having conversations around sexuality is what eradicates rape culture. We are community learning organisms. That's how we understand things. And without actually talking to one another about the way we experience this, about the things that we think, we don't have the checkpoints to be like, "Uh, I don't know about that one. Or, "Mm, okay, actually, I see a different way. And so what we would do was gather all the people into the room and it was very sexy. It was a lot of fun. The premise that we took was like taking what would have been like a sleepover and kind of flipping it on its head. So we had things that reminded you of it, but with the sexual connotation. And one of the things that people kind of remember from growing up is, oh, you know, you might be at a sleepover and someone had a magazine, or you might be at a sleepover and someone pops in their older brother's tape of, you know, whatever porn that is. Right. So- For some people, the experience of being at a sleepover was Mm -hmm. where we connected about a lot of these sexual things, right? Suck and blow and like all of this stuff. So we took that premise and kind of blew it up and made it a fun land and invited people into that. And then what we would do would have a panel of people afterwards talking about a topic. So one of our first events in this fashion was um, about threesomes. So we had porn that was all Mm threesome-based, but, you know, some very artistic, some very, like, cut and dry, and to show what threesomes can look like in this world. And then afterwards, we had someone who identifies as a unicorn – You know, someone who does this a lot with their partners, someone who's more oriented to like the therapy and coaching world to say, here's all the different things that actually happen when you're having threesomes. There's jealousy. There's someone who's coming in from the other side, or maybe you're picking three people who are together. What's the rules? How do you negotiate And so talking about things that are deeper than just what's on the surface of, oh, I'm having this fun sexual experience, but like, what's it really like?
0: Yeah, and it's cool because it sounds like also for those like, okay, so right, you're into the fantasy of a threesome if somebody's Mm -hmm. in there and they can enjoy it, but it sounds like you guys are really bringing it also down to an earthly, tangible way that like if they ever were to consider that, what are some of the considerations and then to go into that jealousy what's the rules what's the boundaries so it's cool because it's almost like oh yeah it's taking it almost to the next level an invitation Mm -hmm. in a way to just understand it from a little bit more of like a practical sense
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite events actually was our events on altered states. And that was kind of my brainchild and baby that I wanted to bring in, which is where the sexuality and psychedelics really started to fuse together. Because for me, one of the major supporting factors of me being able to come out and say these things about myself, you know, that I am queer, that I am polyamorous and owning who I am, has been psychedelics. And so I wanted to have an event that invited altered states in general, which is literally any time we're getting out of our our basic brain function to experience another thing, which an awakening in and of itself is that. But there's things that you can also do to help support that, so psychedelics meditation mindfulness is an altered state also when we're talking about sexuality you know there's dom and subspace when you're in the bdsm world so all of those things kind of came together at that event as well where we showed porn that might be cool to watch while you're in an altered state um you know some of it was really like fractally and very beautiful some of it was very funny which you know is is good when you're high And so all of those different things kind of came together. And then we had a panel of experts who worked in the different areas to really come out and say how altered states has supported themselves being who they are and their sexuality.
0: Wow. How fun. What a fun event. And just kind of going back to what you were saying, even about psychedelics and sex in general, and I love that they allowed you to have the courage and the yeah be able to come out and be who you are. They've certainly done that for me as well in so many different ways. But I think a big thing that you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk around mental health, around psychedelics, which is of course, right. Like that, we're in a mental health uh, epidemic, right? Mm-hmm. The epidemic would be the right. Yeah, uh, I'm like I've been saying pandemic for so long. I was like,
1: is it <laughs> like, oh,
0: <laughs> Which one's which one's it? But I think there's also people miss how sexy psychedelics actually are and how Mm -hmm. fun they can be you know not always obviously depends on the context depends on where you're at but you know uh, that's something that I've been wanting I'm so glad that you were on here and you brought this up even because it's something that I've been wanting to talk about about how truly sexy they can be and not just not just from an openness but also just like physiologically you feel like very turned on and i don't know if people like realize that like especially with like lsd i get like very horny actually mm-hmm. sorry mom and dad who's going to be watching this but it's like <laughs> a <laughs> but it's like a it's something that i don't think a lot of people realize of course if when you know you know for those listening who have done it that no but it is i like to say psychedelics are multi-dimensional like we are they are everything like we are so it's just an amplification and an invitation to if you're going to bring it into a sexy space you're about to get sexy times 10. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know yeah absolutely
1: and i also think that you know different ones usually elicit different things for different people and and that's what the experimentation of it is and i find experimentation to be very sexy i'm a scientist at heart so i'll just like push up my nerd glasses and like you know put on that kind of frame but i really think that people so i've been saying this about sex as well is that i think that's like sex has lost some of its sexiness like we we went into this space right where especially post me too movement was so so needed but there's a lot of scaredness around sex and there's a lot of scaredness around taking steps into the, the next realm and and that's what all of these things can really help bring us back to understanding is that like it's sexy and delightful and delicious and fun. And even our mental health can be that. I mean, I know that this past year and a half I have struggled with things and all I need to do is remind myself, Ooh, that center of pleasure, that center of delight, it lives within me. And psychedelics can really help us connect to that sex can really help us connect to that and then you put those things together as long as you're willing to allow yourself to be that source oh my gosh the opening and understanding that can happen from that is just unparamount
0: yeah absolutely when did you so you have now you've you had the theater when did you transition into going full on into working with others on Mm -hmm. their own awakenings Yeah. So
1: COVID brought the big change for everyone. Um, You know, when we were hosting things in person, that was a really big part of what we were doing, because like I said, everyone's kind of used to watching porn behind their screens and taking that out of that context and putting people in, in live theaters with each other uh, was really important. And so when COVID happened, we did do the switch and it actually worked really well. We actually had one of our most successful events, which we ran a 24 hour straight ethical porn film festival. And we had 12 different curators come in and curate different fo- films. And it was a really beautiful uniting of the indie industry because a lot of them really just nav- like navigate the world separately. But also, you know, the first ever, in my understanding, 24 hours of indie porn that's ever been done. And, you know, we raised $4,000 for Glitz Inc., which is a trans sex worker rights charity and uh, had over 1,500 tickets sold. So it was a major event. It was really, really fun. And there was still something for me that was really missing in the live component. And so, although the events were really fun, we held something every Saturday for brunch called brunch munch, which was a really good time. Uh It still was missing the live component for me. And, and that was really, really important. And so, you know, we did about two months of that and we decided, okay, let's take a break and see how we're feeling. And in that time, People started to come to me and ask me, like, can we work one on one? You know, you're no longer doing the events anymore. And I was pretty much like, no, uh, you know, that's not really my job. I, I don't really do that. Yeah. And then I had someone who came to me and was like, hey, you are going to be my coach and I am going to pay you money and I am not taking no for an answer. And I just kind of said to myself, okay, this might be the next iteration of the thing. Like, can I just trust and surrender into this again? Yeah. If anybody can't tell, it's kind of my pattern for me to say no until,
0: <laughs> <laughs> until, the universe is like, until I, I finally know. do. And there's somebody literally telling you no is not an answer. You're like, I mean, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and this person I did trust. Yeah. So, you know, it was exactly. one of those things where it's like, you can't see your own bullshit until someone else is like, here's your bullshit. Yeah, true true. so it was like, so oh. one of those scenarios.
0: Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. And, um, that's, that's how I came into the, the one-on-one work and, and really developing a sense of like, wow, I can get really deep with the people who are really desiring to go there with themselves and understand who they are from a sexual standpoint. And for me, it's much more than just sexually, because I truly believe that sexual energy is creative energy, mm-hmm. right? Like no one can really refute that sex is creation. Yeah. That, that's like, they're one-on-one. <laughs> you can't really get around that.
0: Yeah, I know artists too. I just know a few that just, they just there's sex drive. They're like, their creative output is crazy, but also their sexual drive is also really mirrors it. <clears throat> I don't mm-hmm. know if you've had that experience too, but a lot of artists that I know are very active.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one-to-one. And when you are expressing your creativity, that energy is heightened within you. And so for me, if you do not know who you are sexually, or you're hiding yourself sexually, how do you know what you're supposed to create? And then how do you know who you're supposed to create it with? and to me that is where all of those things really come together and i consider everything i am a creative person i am an artist by you know trade i consider all of the things that i design to be experiences whether it's one on one or my group formats and I would not know those things about myself if I weren't honest about being who I am. Everything, in my opinion, is creation. This conversation is creation. We are creating this dialogue together. And so again, just kind of returning to that point, like if you don't know who you are sexually or you're afraid to show the world who you are sexually, then you are not really creating in your truth. And to me, people who are not creating in their truth is what creates all of the, the nastiness and the hurt and the trauma that we incur on each other. Because you're mad at yourself. You're mad at yourself for not doing the thing that you really want to do. And that's how I get to the crux of eradicating rape culture, because that's where control and power and all of that comes in. When you're not being in the truth of who you are, then you're harming other people. Wow. And so that's where it all kind of like comes in together that like, this is really the thing for me that when we pinpoint this, everything else in your life opens up.
0: I mean, that's think, so beautifully said, by the way, so beautifully said. And and so many important things that you said because it really just takes it, uh, you just see the layers of importance as you go on a, on a cultural collective place that, I mean- rape culture is sexual repression it's so much or the honestly a lot of the homophobic acts that we see oftentimes are people who are just so angry that they cannot for whatever reason their cultural upbringing cannot you know act on what they truly want and believe we see so much violence and It's so beautiful because on a personal level, just I've never thought of that, that just knowing who you are and what you want creatively allows you to like, it's like a check off the box. You're like, okay, got that. So now I can just be who I'm supposed to be and create. Like, so on a personal level, A, you're just probably gonna experience so much more pleasure and bliss and joy in your life because you're getting to enjoy the body that you have in this life. But also then tapping then on the next level about how you then operate in the world and how you show up and how you are. And, you know, I think people that are satisfied or feel themselves, you feel that you feel Mm -hmm. them very confident in that. It's very like you don't need to know what they're doing in the bedroom to know that like they're they got it. it. Like they're good to go. (laughs) And then again, like you're saying, and then on the culture, on the bigger level is that the more people that are in that flow state of knowing who they are, we create a more harmonious place. So beautiful, of course your life's work is not just about helping others, but really about helping the collective.
1: Yeah, yeah, to me, a greater collective sexual consciousness does us all so much good. And really being able to come together and allow everybody to be who they are because we're allowing ourselves to be who we are. Yeah. Is I think that the the harmonious state that you were talking about is everyone truly, truly, truly creating whatever it is from their heart space and and being in that place. And that doesn't mean that we're all necessarily meant to be intertwined together. But that means if this group is over here and this group is over here, we can say, hey, what's up? I'm like, I see you. And it doesn't have to be this kind of
0: thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I know you're you've got a couple programs that you're working on, and I know one of them particularly like we're just bringing back to psychedelics a little bit. I know you're working with psychedelics and your clients. Can you talk a little bit about how you're working with psychedelics and your clients on this and how it's impacted them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a 30 day sexual awakening journey. And what this does is take you through my like four aspects of identity that really make up your sexual whole, And we then intertwine that into the alignment of your full self. Because to me, people who focus too much just on their sexual identity it ends up swallowing the rest of who they are and they're not actually in alignment mm-hmm. or they completely shut it away and therefore they're not in alignment too because there's a big chunk of who we are missing in that the mm-hmm. t- bottom two chakras if you're into this kind yeah, of yeah. thing you know are related to sexual energy one is more primal and, and one is more creative mm-hmm. but you're going to chop off an entire half of your being if you're not wanting to connect with that spot. Yep. And so basically what we do is we go through these different aspects of, of identity and that entire program is supported by a psilocybin microdosing regimen. And so, you know, I've done a lot of research. I've kind of looked at all of the things of, you know, what is the best way to hold a microdosing program? How does that kind of connect? And to me, I've worked with several different medicines with my clients. You know, ketamine tends to be the best for people who are experiencing trauma or have a lot of stuff going on in their brain and they really need to get more into their body. This program, the Love Lulu program is psilocybin because we're connecting all of the different parts of ourselves. And if you think about mycelium, you know it is the, the connecting system basically of this earth. And so really being able to look at all of the different parts of ourselves and then connect them, we're choosing a medicine that helps us to do that. Also, that program is a group program, and so it's about connecting to each other. And so underneath the surface, we are connecting more deeply, more intimately to ourselves, and then more deeply and more intimately to the other people who are in this program. So it kind of just, you know, the the medicine that I work with depends on what we're doing, what the point is, but for this program, particularly the 30 day awakening program, we work with psilocybin, which helps us connect to each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it also, I can imagine just because of all the new neural pathways that is also happening in the brain on a Mm -hmm. psychedelic, when you are integrating new information and truly like doing the work you know exactly what you're trying to do in this 30-day program and you have the aid of something that is actually giving you the best shot honestly of creating new pathways and new ways of thinking and really smart this is why I think psychedelics is is going to be so huge because of that type of pairing you know whatever and whatever the thing is you know sexual awakening or, or whatever the things are when you pair it you're giving you know our brain is an efficient machine but it's not it's just going to keep going down the ways it goes that's why we're such robots around things and so I think it's just a really smart way and of course yes on the spiritual level which is also my jam is to yes connect really deeply and finally just on the group aspect I think there's going to be a lot more really coming out I predict there being much more about community-based tripping and whether that's like a microdose or like a real trip because Mm -hmm. there is fucking magic that happens when you are with others on that level, experiencing that vibration with them. Yeah. And for people that especially aren't used to connecting deeply with other human beings, it's such an opportunity yeah. to do so. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think, you know, so much of what you said, the, the melding the science and spirituality, either you call that mindfulness or you call it quantum physics, depending how you <laughs> look at it. So we like um, both. Yeah. You
0: know, why not book? Quantum quantum mindfulness.
1: (laughs) There we go. You heard it here first. Yes. Um, So I think that that's really important to know what's happening on a spiritual level and what's also happening on a very scientific level. Like I mentioned before, I'm a scientist at heart. So I'm looking at all of these things for like, how can we actually make a, a physiological change in what we are doing And so, so much of that this far that we have in terms of data is on the brain with psychedelics. We don't have a lot of of body-based systems yet, which hopefully we're going to start working on, calling that into the universe. But yeah, exactly what you said is happening. Now, the reason that we are so efficient is because in evolution, the the fastest A to B synapse of the brain, which can be kind of likened to a river, right? A to B creates efficiency. And that efficiency allows us to conserve energy. Mm -hmm. And so the more energy we can conserve, which is actually what our bodies are designed to do, the better it is for our quote unquote survival. Mm -hmm. Because then when we really need it, right, when your caveman day is running away from something that's trying to get you or maybe you go into famine, you can actually call on those reserves, that really doesn't serve us anymore in this day and age, and so we're kind of fighting against our evolution. Mm-hmm. However, we are accelerating at a pace much faster than our biology can actually keep up with. Yeah, and so that's what psychedelics really help us do. With if we have a neural pathway or the river, so to say, that's A to B, and we've been thinking that same thought that creates the A to B for 20 years. Say, you know, I. I have to have sex with the lights off. Mm-hmm. And you thought that from A to B for 20 years. You start to believe that that is the only thing that exists. Mm-hmm. That sex with the lights off is the only way that you can have sex. Enter psychedelics. And what happens is it actually opens up what we would call maybe little tributaries from that river for more synapses to be able to get into your brain. And one day you're like, huh. Maybe I'll turn on the lights while I have sex. And that's what psychedelics allows us to do. It gets us out of that trench, so to speak, and into seeing, wow, there's a lot of other possibilities out there. Because if we want to take it back to quantum physics and the idea of quantum positioning, basically what that says is that there is a million, there's infinite possibilities of what we can choose in this lifetime the only cap on the infinite possibility is what we can imagine. And what we can imagine is confined to the neural pathways that we allow to be sprung in our mind. So that's what psychedelics helps us do. It helps us move out of what we've dug into the trenches and see beyond into those infinite
0: possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing you say it, I was like, God, I love (laughs) them. Yeah, that's exactly what they Can we make a
1: gratitude note yeah.
0: for psychedelics? Thank gratitude. you, psychedelics. I have <laughs> the amount of times I say thank you to magic mushrooms and honestly a, an array of psychedelics because just hearing you, I'm like, yeah, I've experienced many of those moments, many of those mm-hmm. moments where I'm like, I never, ever, ever thought certain things were possible until one day I yeah. did. And the thing is, yeah. it's the craziest part is like it does happen like that. It's just suddenly like a, huh. And you think, huh, why have I never thought that in the last 30 years? You know what I mean? Or whatever, like however long, like wonder, wonder why? Like, and I'm like, yeah, like this is, this is why it's exciting. And yeah. I, and why, you know, I just, again, with all of this time that we're coming into just feels like this expansion, like a, mm-hmm. an expansion of mind and consciousness, sexual awakening, understanding ourselves in um, amongst each other, like, you know, not feeling so separate. How do we come together? Like there's just such a a push towards like, can we do it different? Can we like, we're finally asking the question, like, can we do this different? Because I don't know about you, but for me I needed different. Thank God shit has started to change. Thank God. And I know, you know, when I look at the, (laughs) the epidemic, the mental health of the pandemic it's it's we're no we're not alone and I'm like we're asking the questions now the bigger ones around all of this and the more that we can be ourselves and sink into what makes us happy in this life that we get we get Mm. one shot Mm. at least in this (laughs) iteration of us we might as well fucking enjoy it what in the world (laughs) (laughs) you
1: know yeah yeah I mean it's so fucking true and and that's what sex is really here to remind us of, right? We, we have sex. If you look at the mammal kingdom for fun and it's like, that's what the reminder is. Like we can be reminded that this can also be fun and delicious yeah. and having that context. Right. And I think, especially for me, it's really important to talk to people who have suffered from you know, mental illness or our trauma survivors, because I want them to know that you can get back to this place because sometimes it feels like you can't, like there's no possibility in being able to own this part of yourselves. And you can, absolutely can. And it just starts with that kind of digging yourself out of the trenches first of being like, okay, I can do this. Can it be different And, and allowing it to be that?
0: Yeah. So my final question for you is a two-parter for single people right now who are listening, who might be feeling disconnected to their own sexuality, to their own, just being intimate with themselves. Do you have any advice for them at this time?
1: Yeah. So the first thing that I want to preface with is that I am not a fan of uh, like quick fixes. I think that in this day and age we have so many like life hacks and like, you know, three steps to the best orgasm. Yeah. And what I want people to understand about sex is that sex is really about intimacy and about connection. And so there's a lot about slowness. There's a lot about process that comes in. And so that is kind of one, one thing that I just want to preface with that, like, you know, if you read an article and it's like, you know, best sex to the best sex or, you know, fabulous blowjob and you don't get it right away to like not have that pressure on yourself because everything is a series of steps. And the more you can find pleasure in the process of learning in the process of your sexuality, the better. But what you can do is take little bites. And so what I would suggest is first, if you are feeling disconnected from yourself, disconnected from your source of power and creativity, do something that brings you joy. Like the first thing when I said joy that pops into your head that came up, do that thing. Also, in my experience, doing something that moves your body like dance. Now, it's hard to say cuz dance doesn't actually resonate with every single person.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: that would be usually my first entry point to say turn on one song and tell yourself for one song you're just going to let go and then allow yourself to be in that. So that would be my two kind of pointers of like let yourself navigate first towards the joy. Yeah. And whatever I said that came up first, do that thing. If it's a high five, if it's a giggling at something, if it's running down the street naked, like let yourself do the thing that brings you joy. Don't get in your own way. Just do it. Don't think about it. And then the second thing would be do something that gets you into your body. If that's dancing, if that's yoga, you know, if that's laying on the bed and hugging yourself really tightly, Mm -hmm. whatever that is, let yourself have that too.
0: That's so beautiful. I never would have thought that you would have gone to that direction, which is why I loved your answer even more, which is beyond just, here's some tips for, you know, a sexy night with yourself or something along those lines, but actually on a very deeper level, like enjoy yourself
1: mm-hmm.
0: on like, uh, and that the sexuality and and that the next thing, whatever that will come, but just the, I think there's something so inherently important to that message. So thank you. And by the way, mm-hmm. when you said joy, I I thought dance. And so I'm, I'm. <laughs> they're combined now. And then my other question is for those that are in a relationship Mm -hmm. that would like to maybe spice it up, but they are nervous to bring it up to a partner for a variety of different reasons. What would you say to them to, what's some ways that they can gather the courage or yeah, just gather the courage to actually have this conversation with their partner?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is a really tough one. And again, I'm going to preface by saying like, take little bites, because if you're in a space where you're feeling uncomfortable about having this conversation with your partner, then there's probably a lot more coming up than if I just say, you know, just do this, right? So be gentle on yourself is what I would say the first thing is. And then the second thing I would say is the, the thing about having vulnerable conversations is they get a lot less vulnerable when you admit that you feel nervous. Mm -hmm. so what i would say is to invite your partner to have a space where it's just the two of you i really wouldn't suggest like doing this in the middle of starbucks i'm like thinking right now how like i've heard some really intense conversations in starbucks if that makes you feel comfortable and starbucks is your safe place okay but usually quiet calm the two of you are at a park maybe you're in your living room but somewhere that you can have your undivided attention. Yeah. Then what I would say is share with your partner, hey, I really want to talk about something, but this makes me nervous. Or I feel really tender around this. Or this is really vulnerable and I'm sweating, right? Like yeah. when something is vulnerable for me, my armpits start to sweat. Yeah. And I, I kind of call that out on myself. Like, hey, like, I really want to talk about this, but like, I'm getting sweaty now. And like, that means I'm <laughs> nervous and, you know, just kind of let yourself be seen because that's usually the crux of the thing that's happening is that we are afraid to be seen. We are afraid to see ourselves, and so we're afraid to be seen by another. But, hey, the thing is, is that you and your partner choose to see each other all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Sex is the most vulnerable thing that we do, and so you're already there with that person. Mm -hmm. So just lean on that. Lean into the understanding that you have with your partner. And just kind of call yourself out and be like, hey, this makes me nervous, but I really want to talk about it. Yeah. That would be the first way that I, I really suggest having that conversation. Now, if it's something really major, if it's something that you you really are having a hard time with, mm. for example, people come to me all the time because they want to share with their partner that they desire to open their marriage or open their yeah. relationship. And that can be a thing that feels really scary. Get support of someone else. You know, if you feel like it's, there's a lot of emotions coming up around it and you're really scared, see a therapist. Get a sex positive poly therapist and invite your partner to come with you to that. Find a coach. You know, there are people like me who are helping people guide them in that direction. So you can always get support. So if you cannot do the inviting someone in and just kind of sharing like, hey, this makes me really nervous to say, but I really want to talk about this, get support. You are not alone. I think that's like the thing that I keep coming back to in terms of sexuality is we constantly feel like we are by ourselves in this experience. And you're not. You're definitely not. So just know that people have navigated this before. There are ways to get through it no matter what it is that you want to talk to your partner about.
0: So beautifully said, so beautifully said. What a perfect segue to say, how can people work with you? Or can they find you on socials, online?
1: Where are you at yes. for people
0: to know in the in the world? Are you doing virtual stuff? Do you see people in person?
1: Yeah. So um, I currently am living in Los Angeles, which is a new move for me. So I am going to start opening to seeing people in person and doing my groups in person. But right now everything is still virtual the best way to really get a hold of me and also interact with me, I think that's a really important thing when you are considering working with a coach is that you kind of know who they are as a real person, yeah. um, would be on Instagram. So you can find me at, at @smuddyhussain. S-M-U-T-T-Y-H-U-S-S-A-I-N. And that's me. I'm on there goofing off all the time. I talk somewhat about sex, but a lot of it is just life in general, because I think You know, this isn't really such a thing with therapists, but with coaches, they're really bringing in their experience to help you with your life. Yeah. And so the things that I I'm typically talking about, I talk a lot about sex, psychedelics, and pornography, and polyamory, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then my my 30 day program is always with the new moon. So if anybody's interested in that, you're kind of starting with the moon cycle, and so you can always get a a hold of me ahead of that time.
0: Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Aisha, what a wonderful conversation. Seriously, this was so much fun. And I'm sure everybody listening at home is like, okay, <laughs> like feeling some kind of way after this combo. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope they
1: go rub up on somebody, you know,
0: like it's, or it's themselves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you so much again for being here. I truly appreciate your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delightful conversation and I cannot wait to see what comes out next on Trip on This. Yes.
0: Thank you so much. And for everyone, as always, Trip on This.